Welcome to another powerful word from Pastor Ron Hammonds, Senior Pastor of Golden Triangle Church in the Rock in Southeast Texas. We're so glad you're joining us. For more information about Golden Triangle Church on the Rock Ministries, visit our website, cotr.com. Enjoy the word. Today, the season of the cross. We are in the season of the cross. Hebrews 12, we're going to be going to the book of Mark, but let me read Hebrews 12 verse 2 for you to give us just a little launching pad here. The Bible says, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. He endured the cross. It was a shame. It was a shame. He, you know, he was rejected and despised. You, you know that. Well, you know, the Jewish feast of Passover does not always coincide with our Easter as far as dates go. Our Easter is next Sunday. But the Jewish feast of Passover began last night at sundown in Jerusalem. And uh, the anniversary, the literal anniversary of the crucifixion of Christ was on either Thursday or Friday of this past week. Just a couple of days ago is the anniversary of the crucifixion of our Lord and Savior Jesus. And, and uh, even though, you know, we are in this season of the cross, the season of this crucifixion, we should be expecting a resurrection of the body of Christ. You know, not everyone who was at the cross, in fact, no one who was at the cross watching this Savior, this man, as they imagined, be brutally and cruelly tortured and killed. No one expected a better day. No one expected a resurrection. But we have been given a story, an example. We have been given the word of God. We sit here in a different place today knowing that when difficult times come, when seasons of the cross present themselves, yet we have a word from God. We understand. We, we, we would like to think if we lived back then and, and we were Peter or we were you know, James or John or, or Matthew, or you know, we would like to think that we, we would have had some hope. You know, but they had no hope. Mary had no hope. You know, Mary Magdalene had no hope. Jesus was dead, and that's all they could see. That cross was the end, and that's all the hope they had. But we stand here with better eyes, with a greater perspective, with a more sure word of prophecy. We understand that this season of the cross, and by the way, the season of the cross is a season of suffering. It is the epitome of suffering. It is arguably the best times and the worst times that the world has ever experienced. The best of times because of the forgiveness that was paid for on the cross of Calvary. But the worst of times because of the suffering and the cost and the price that an innocent, perfect, wonderful, loving God and Son had to pay. The best and the worst. 
It does not take a prophet, by the way, to tell us that we are and we have been in some intense seasons of suffering in the earth today. So many people around the world are suffering from the effects of COVID. COVID has affected families, affected world affairs and finances, coupled with all of the personal freedoms and increased attacks on faith, on community. All these things serve us to, rem to, to, to remind us that this world is not our home and that there is a resurrection in our future. So many people have gone through such suffering in this past season. But we should not be like those standing at the cross, those who left the cross that day and, and, and for the next few days felt empty and alone. We should have an expectation. So let's begin this morning by reading from the 14th and 15th chapters of Mark. And, and the, this account that we're going to begin reading, which is, you know, uh, 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 it, it happened the day before Passover. So it's historically, uh, technically, the anniversary was just a few days ago. It happened at night. It happened right after what we know as the Last Supper. Okay? Just the night that Jesus is going to be arrested just the day before he's going to be crucified. He'll be crucified the next morning. Mark 14, verse 32, right after the Last Supper. Then they came, Jesus and his disciples, then they came to a place which is called, which is named Gethsemane. Now, let's pause here for just a moment. Gethsemane means oil press, okay? Olive press, oil press. In those days, the Roman government loved to tax people. <laughs> and they didn't trust you that you were not going to evade being taxed or escape being taxed. And so they taxed your produce. How can they make sure of your produce? Well, one of the ways was oil and wine presses, okay? And so uh, when people grew olives, and a lot of olives were grown because the oil was used for lighting candles and for cooking and for all kinds of things. And so it was against the Roman law for you to own a personal oil press. You could not crush your own grapes or your own olives. Why? Because there's no way for them to measure it, no way for them to tax it. And so the Roman government owned the presses. They owned Gethsemane, means oil press, okay? They owned the wine presses so that you were forced by law to bring your product, to bring your olives to a certain place and there let the Roman government manage and control the pressing of that olive into oil that you needed. Then it would be measured and then it could be properly taxed, okay? Well, the Gospels tell us that Gethsemane, this oil press, was located on the Mount of Olives. Why? Because that's where a lot of olives were, okay? 
and uh, people had their little olive groves all over the Mount of Olives, which is just across the Kidron Valley, just a short, you know, uh, less than less than 200 yard walk from the eastern gate of the temple. Did you just walk, you know, right down a little hill, across a little brook, and right up another, and you're on the edge of the bottom of the cleft on, of, of, of the western side of the Mount of Olives, and it was on a pathway leading to Bethany, and along this pathway there were many little olive groves that people owned and managed and they were called gardens and this garden of Gethsemane was the little garden where the Romans had their oil press where they managed it and there was a little olive grove there well you know uh, 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 this this uh, this was a time in the life of Jesus this was a moment in his life that he was under such pressure he was under such stress. Can you imagine Jesus being stressed out? Well, he was. Can you imagine, you know, a stress is not a sin. Pressure is not a sin. To have such a weight upon you that, that it presses in upon you so that you need help. You know you need help. You need help. You're asking friends for help. You know you need help. And he was looking for a place that would be quiet, a place that, 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 that he could uh, let, let his disciples you know, rest a little bit so that he could find a private or secluded place where he could talk to his father because he was burdened. He had some questions and there was such pressure on him. In fact, the Gospels tell us that there was such pressure on Jesus at this time that he asked Actually, uh, you know, blood dripped from his pores as he prayed as though it was sweat. That's the kind of stress. That's what the medical profession tells us. Under such stress and under such pressure that said sweat drops of blood were coming from his pores. He was willing, fully committed to do God's will. Yet he was looking for another way. He was hoping, he was asking for another way. So much pressure. Have you ever been under such stress? Have you ever been under such pressure? Have you ever, you know, uh, you know come to a place where you need help and you need direction, but, but you just really had rather be alone? Have you ever come to the place where, you know, uh, it's a challenge to even think about how you're going to make it through this night? It's a challenge to even imagine what's going to happen tomorrow and, and, and how am I going to get through this? Have you ever been in that place where you did not know what to do? You did not know where to turn, uh, uh, but, but, but you, know, you knew God was there, but you were hoping that, that he would have an answer that would be different than what you, you know, were going through? Perhaps we all come to a personal Gethsemane at some point in our life. Perhaps every one of us face that pressure at some point in life where we need help, we want help, but we're looking for another way. We're fully committed to doing God's will, but we're hoping that he has an out for us. We're hoping that tomorrow doesn't turn out like, you know, like today is going. We're hoping that, that the night, that we can endure the night and, and, you know, that personal Gethsemane, that personal pressure. Verse, again, 32. Then they came to the place where, which was named Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. 
and then he said to them uh, later, as he went and prayed and came back, went and prayed and came back, went and prayed and came back, you know, he couldn't get them to pray with him, but he told them, listen, watch and pray, verse 38 says. This was his, his admonition to his disciples. Watch and pray lest you enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. You know, at times we are willing, but we are weak. Have you ever been willing, but weak? Have you ever been, you know, committed but looking for a way out? Have you ever been going through something but I was hoping that in the morning it would all just be a dream? Verse 43 tells us that, and immediately while Jesus was still speaking with his disciples, Judas, one of the twelve, with a great multitude with swords and clubs, a great multitude. They had swords and clubs. Matthew tells us they also had torches. You know, they weren't coming here, you know, secretly. They were coming here, you know, uh, as a mob with swords and clubs. They're coming after Jesus with clubs. I guess they were hoping to catch some of his disciples and club them. They came from the chief priest. Oh, they were sent by the church. <laughs> wow. We won't preach on that one yet, but one day. And the scribes and the elders. You know, let me encapsulate what happened after this before we get to the rest of our message. Let me, let, let, let me tell you what happened. They came and they arrested Jesus. Okay? The disciples, you know, were able to get away just like had been prophesied. He was taken alone to the high priest. Peter followed and some of the others followed at a distance. And there Jesus was accused, falsely accused. They found some men who they could pay or who they could bribe in some way to falsely accuse Jesus. But, 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 but you know, their, their accusations just didn't match up. And so, you know, they struggled and struggled and wrestled and wrestled. And then, and, 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 you know, through the nighttime and uh, the next morning, uh, the chief priest, you know, they, they had had enough of Jesus. So they took him to Pilate. As Mark's account gives us, you know, Pilate could not really find anything worthy of death. And he says, listen, you know, they say that you're the king of the Jews. What do you say? Are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus said, it is as you said. And Pilate tried his best, you know, to, to, to let him off, you know. Let me release him to you. And they said, no, give us Barabbas, you know. And, well, what do you want me to do with, with Jesus? You know, what do you want me crucify him and here you know people were being stirred up and the mob was crying crucify him crucify him crucify him Pilate wanting to satisfy gratify the crowd isn't that sad that leaders of nations would bend more to the wishes of the crowd than they would to justice and what is right. But Pilate, wanting to gratify the crowd, he just went ahead and released Barabbas to them. And he delivered Jesus after he had scourged him. He was hoping perhaps that the beating would be enough because scourging was the, most, the, the, the worst punishment you could get. 
beside crucifixion. And you just did not scourge and crucify somebody. You wouldn't do that. You wouldn't do that. You wouldn't do that. He was hoping that that would be enough, but it wasn't. The, the crowd was not satisfied with the beating. The crowd was not satisfied that flesh was torn from his body and that he was weak and he was in unrelenting pain. They weren't satisfied that they wanted him dead. Ooh. And so Pilate delivered him to be crucified. Jesus was nailed on that cross and Hung, suspended between heaven and earth, taken up on him the sins of the world. And about six hours after Jesus had first been hung on the cross, from nine o'clock till three o'clock, about three o'clock, verse 34 says, and in, at the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice saying, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani which is translated, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Verse 37 says, and Jesus cried out with a loud voice and breathed his last. Wow. The picture of the cross, in brief, is a picture of agony and suffering, cruelty, violence, vehement Anger, hate. Jesus felt it. It's very evident from all the accounts that Jesus felt abandoned. The scriptures tell us that he felt shame. Himself bore my shame. When I sin, it's not shame on me, it's shame on him. Shame on Jesus. For my sin. Shame on him. If I steal something, shame on him. Not shame on me. The Bible says he felt despised. He felt rejected. He was. And he was alone. But why? Why? He was the son of God. Why did he feel alone? Why did he feel despised? Why did he feel rejected? Why did he feel betrayed? Why did he, I mean, he's the son of God. He knows the plan. He knows what he and God have before determined. He understands the plan. Why did he, he's the son of God. He knew that God, his father loved him. Why was he so downcast? He knew God had a plan for his life. You know God loves you. You know God has a plan for your life. But sometimes you feel alone, betrayed, and despised, rejected, hurt, abandoned. Jesus felt that shame. It is certain that God loved him. Don't you think God loved him? You think God loved him? Sure God loved him. We can tell him that. We were standing on the, on the ground and he's up on the cross. We can say, you know God loves you. Have you ever encountered someone on their cross and you're going, hey, God loves you? Hello? They're looking through the pain and the betrayal. Uh, God loves you. He has a plan for your life. You know, it'll be okay. He didn't even have that. There was no one standing on the ground saying it's going to be okay. It's certain that God approved of his life and his work. 
You know, I mean, you know, it's, it's, it's certain that Jesus was innocent. It's certain that Jesus did not deserve this. You know, uh, it, 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 it is certain that God had a plan for his future. Yet, Jesus still felt abandoned, forsaken, forgotten in that moment. Such suffering, such intense pain, such injustice weighs heavy even on the mind of God. For some reason, we may think God is impervious to feelings. He's not. Jesus suffered betrayal by a friend. He was abandoned by his followers. He was disregarded by his family. (laughs) He was rejected by his community. He was disdained by his church. He was dishonored by strangers. Disregarded even by the criminals crucified beside him on the crosses. Let me tell you, it's enough to make a loving, giving, caring Savior feel forsaken. It's enough to make you feel forgotten. Abandoned, betrayed. This season of the cross, this personal Gethsemane, this place where Jesus walked that we find ourselves also along a path knowing what he has done for our eternity but yet carrying with us a shame, a hurt, a pain, a disappointment. To imagine that Jesus did not feel the physical, emotional, or spiritual pain. And to imagine that he does not feel your physical, emotional, and spiritual pain would be to deny the cross because that's where he felt what you feel. That's where he took your burdens. That's where he was chastised for your peace. That's where he took upon him the sins of the world. God was committed to Jesus. But God, I cannot imagine God being able to watch this. Can you imagine watching what was going on? Even knowing that there will be a resurrection. Yet the moment, yet the suffering, the pain... This, 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 you know, all of this. God was committed. The word says in Psalm 16 that God was not going to leave his soul in hell, but that didn't mean he didn't have to go through hell. Our earnest and our honest questions to God are never despised by him. When we come to him with an honest and earnest question of our heart, even in our hurt and our pain, we are never despised. Our suffering will not go unanswered, although it may seem as if in a moment of life we have been abandoned. Although it may seem in a moment of life, in a personal Gethsemane, in a a, a season of the cross, at times that we are alone, yet we are never alone. But that day on the cross, 
Jesus felt such pain. Why did God turn his face from all that was going on on the earth that day? Well, let me tell you that God's intent is to save man, not to destroy him in his sinful state. God's intent is to save man. That doesn't mean it was easy, okay? That doesn't mean that he liked it. That doesn't mean that he didn't feel it. That doesn't mean that it didn't cost him. That doesn't mean that he was not passionate. That doesn't mean that he was not hurt, was not bruised. He didn't have to do it. God didn't have to do it. God didn't have to let it be done. And I think, I really do think, that perhaps God wrestled more with the plan of salvation at the cross than Jesus did in the Garden of Gethsemane. Let me say that again. Perhaps God wrestled with the plan of salvation more at the cross than Jesus did in the Garden. Jesus was struggling, you know, I want to do your will, but take this cup from me. And Jesus, you know, no doubt God said whatever you want. And Jesus came to peace with saying, let's do it. But then when they get to the cross, God is watching it. And I think God is struggling and wrestling. And God could have slapped mankind and all those who were cruelly and violently and viciously and vehemently hurting his son. I think God, as Jesus was taken to Calvary, laid out and stretched out and nails driven through his hands and his feet and raised up on that cross, suffering from nine o'clock in the morning until noon, the Bible says, people spitting on him and slapping him and, 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 and accusing him and telling him, you know, you know, you saved others, you know, certainly you can save yourself. You know? Of course there was another way. Just let man pay for their own sin. If, somebody, if, if someone decides to lie and cheat and steal and commit adultery, if someone decides that they're going to go against my law, let them pay for it. Let you pay your own bill. Let you pay for what you want. Let you pay for what you did. Let you pay for who you are. That's what they could have done. And there's probably not one among us that would have made a different choice if we had have been in charge. Why should my son pay for you and you don't even care? You're the one that's crucifying him. You're the one that's beating him. You're the one that's lying about my son. You're the one that, 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 that's making everybody hate my son. You're the one that's driving the nails in his hand. You're the one that's stripping the flesh from him. You're the one that, that's spitting on my son. No, he's not going to do this. It wasn't Jesus that just could have called 10,000 angels. It was God that no doubt wrestled with stopping it right there. The Bible says at noon, in the worst and most painful times on the cross, the Bible says 
that the world became dark. I think that's when God turned his head and said, I cannot. I cannot. For three hours in that darkness, Jesus drew your sin to his life. The Bible says he took upon himself the sins of the world. And he who knew no sin became sin for us. He emptied himself of his righteousness and poured it out upon undeserving sinners so that he could draw the sin from your life and my life. He became so marred, the Bible says, that his visage so marred that even his own mother could not recognize him. And then when he had finished, when he had done all he could do. The Bible says at the ninth hour, he lifted up his eyes and perhaps for the very first time in his life, he did not see the smiling face of his father so he cried out my God my God why have you forsaken me why have you turned your head why have you forgotten me full of sin All of the people shouting and no doubt the hordes of hell cheering. They've got the Son of God separated from his Father. No encouragement here. And with that, he cried and breathed his last breath. It is finished, he said. Earlier I asked the question, have you ever been under such stress? Have you ever been under such pressure? Have you ever been in the place where you needed direction, you needed hope, you needed help? Have you ever been at a place where you felt alone, abandoned, betrayed, forgotten, forsaken? you ever been at that place where you thought you would not make it through tonight and you did not want to see tomorrow you knew it would get worse before it got better perhaps we've all had a personal Gethsemane at some point in our life after all this is the season of the cross How are you dealing with your personal Gethsemane? Are you burdened with knowing how you're going to make it through the night? 
Do you feel alone? Are you committed, but yet looking for another way, looking for a way out? Might I recommend that you consider doing what Jesus did? When your spirit is willing, but your flesh is so weak, don't give up. Let me encourage you what to do. For the answers that you do not have and for the answers that you desperately need, for the help, the hope, the encouragement, when everyone else seems against you, when you feel alone, forsaken, abandoned, under stress, pressure, go to God in prayer. That's what Jesus did. More than once, if necessary, that's what Jesus did. He didn't just find it in prayer one time. He didn't, he didn't find the peace. He didn't find the comfort. He didn't find the direction. He didn't find what he needed the first time. Go to God in prayer more than one time if necessary. And ask others to pray with you. That's what Jesus did more than once. Can't you pray with me? Won't you, won't you stay with me? Can't you tarry with me? Let me tell you that I cannot guarantee that the situation will change. But you probably will. I can't guarantee that the situation will change because it may not always be all about you. If it was only and all about you, that'd be an easy decision for God and for you. But I can tell you this, you will find rest, peace, and strength for your soul when you turn it all over to God. It may take a few days. It may take a few times going to prayer. It may take some people praying with you. It may take a little change in perspective. It may feel like God doesn't care. It may feel like you're alone. We are in the season of the cross. This is our life. In this world, you will have tribulation. But be of good cheer. Why? Because the good news is, is the cross is not the end of the story. It's not the end of my story, your story, Jesus' story. It's not the end of the story. Soon there will be a resurrection. But for the moment, we must look to Jesus, who is the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, the peace that God gave him, in the moment, he endured the cross. And today he's seated at the right hand of the Father. Thanks again for joining us for another dynamic message from Pastor Ron Hammonds. Visit cotr.com and subscribe to our social media platforms to stay up to date. As well, receive more encouraging messages from our pastor and details of the work we're doing both in our community and communities like ours around the world. Today and every day, God bless.